The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program, WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, its staff, or management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on 89.3 FM WMKV. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, your nation's public radio source for all the latest news, tips, techniques, strategies, what you need to know to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. And today is question and answer day. So that means that there is no topic except what you want to talk about. If you have questions about anything related to real life real estate investing, such as how to find deals, how to sell deals, exit strategies, financing, management, send them to me at askvina at gmail.com. Make certain that you tell us where you are writing from. For instance, Melanie in New Orleans. It says right there at the bottom, New Orleans says we are investors in the New Orleans area. We have several rental units we would like to sell. However, the market is just not there when it comes to finding other investors that can qualify for financing. Can you give us some suggestions on how we can get out of those properties? Well, Melanie, yes, I can. There are a range of things that you can try here, uh, ranging from the as ideal as it can get in the situation to uh, less ideal, but something that you can think about. A good and easy way to sell properties when financing is not available to your buyers, but buyers would otherwise like to have your properties, is to simply carry the financing for them. Sell them on something like a lease with option to buy, or a bond for deed where they can uh, make payments to you for three, four, five years and ultimately uh, pay them off using their own financing. Uh, lately, with our cheaper properties, we have done fully amortizing land contracts, which are known as bonds for deed down there in New Orleans, uh, where the payment is much higher than it would be on a 30-year amortization but the buyer owns the property free and clear in seven to 10 years. And uh, we have higher income from the property in the meantime. On those kinds of financing deals, it matters much less what the price is than it matters what the down payment is and the monthly payment is. Since you are indicating that these are rental units, uh, the payment, of course, needs to be low enough that the buyer can still make that property cash flow after payment to you, plus taxes, plus insurance, plus maintenance, vacancies, 
and reserves, but sometimes, depending on how expensive the property is and how much the rents are, uh, you are able to to get a fairly high payment and still still get um, the thing amortized over a shorter number of years. I would recommend to you that since it appears that you think you're going to be selling to investors, that you do collect a significant down payment. 10 to 20% down uh, would be minimum in an investor-sold deal. You want your potential new landlord to have enough in this deal that he doesn't walk away from it the first time he has a bad tenant or a turnover to do, and that if he does walk away from it, you have been compensated for having to take it back and do it all over again. Secondly, of course, you can look at uh, the the areas and decide whether these are properties that a potential homeowner might actually like to have, even though they are rental properties at the moment, um, starting with your own tenants, asking them if they would like to buy it. You didn't say what the nature of the properties were, whether they were single families or multifamilies. If they're singles, twos, or threes, you might want to approach your tenants about a similar sort of deal where they would be buying it uh, with financing from you for at least the first few years. Now, on the far side of that spectrum, Melanie, there are many, many investors who over the last three to four years have had to make a decision to go to their lenders and say, I know I am current on my payments. However, I am underwater on the property. It is costing me money every month and I cannot maintain my payments. So, Mr. Lender, I would like you to consider a short sale. I will list the property. I will take offers and I would like you, Mr. Lender, to accept the highest offer that we get. Uh, Otherwise, I'm going to have to stop making my payments and you are going to need to take the property back. So if that is your situation, that would be an approach that you might want to take with your lenders. Uh, Many times what they will come back to you with is an offer for a lower rate of interest that they will um, make it easy for you to uh, afford the property by reducing the interest rate significantly but temporarily and ultimately uh, allowing you to make that property cash flow and at least kick the can down the road a few years. I've seen banks lower investor interest rates uh, to as little as 3%, 2%, in one case even 1.5% interest. If that would make it more palatable for you to continue to own the property, that is something that you might want to consider. Yes, it will show up as a short sale on your credit report, which is why I say this is sort of the far extreme and something that you would only want to consider if you truly are in a situation where you're upside down and the, and the property is costing you money to own every month. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. It's question and answer week here on Real Life Real Estate. Our number in the studio, toll free from anywhere in the listening world, is 877-772-9658. 877-772-9658. Or you can send us an email at askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. You're listening to Question and Answer Day here on Real Life Real Estate. That's what we do on the last Wednesday of every month. 
makes it a kind of an open mic day where you can ask anything that has been backing up in your brain since last time we did this. And uh, you can do that by calling 877-772-9658 or by sending us an email at askvina at gmail.com. Um, David from Maryland says, Hi, Vina. I would like to deal with properties in good condition with a purchase price of less than $50,000. Do I need to target the Midwest versus Maryland? Our values are triple that in my area. Well, the Midwest is definitely one option, David. Uh, so is a lot of the South. Um, you know, not Florida or Texas probably, but uh, certainly, you know, Alabama and Georgia and parts of Tennessee and Kentucky and places like that. Uh, So many warnings I want to give you as a potential out-of-town owner. I could take up the rest of the show. Uh, But the thing that I want to make sure that that you understand in this whole plan is that you you are, it appears, looking to essentially have turnkey rentals, essentially have properties that are already at least close to move-in ready that someone else is going to be managing because you're not going to be managing them from Maryland and that are bought not so much for the equity or growth but for the return over time because it is entirely possible I mean you know the Cincinnati market is the one that I know the best it is entirely possible to buy a property that is five to six thousand dollars from being rent ready, paint carpet, maybe a little bit of plumbing, uh, and be in it for 50000 or less. And then that property, depending on what neighborhood and whether it's a two bedroom, three bedroom, et cetera, uh, will rent for somewhere between six fifty and $800 a month. But when you have bought that property for $50,000, in the neighborhoods in which those numbers that I just gave you are going to hold true, you're going to find that if you want to sell them in five years, they're worth about what you bought them for. Maybe a little bit more, but you're not you're not buying equity at those prices in the kinds of neighborhoods that are going to have the highest possible cash flow because they are rental neighborhoods. They are not neighborhoods where five years from now you're going to turn around and sell to a homeowner. Neighborhoods where you can sell them to a homeowner even in the Midwest, even in the South, are not going to be $50,000 all-in properties. So if your goal is you're looking for rental properties that are going to have a relatively high return on your investment, even after the cost of someone else managing them, then you're headed the right direction. If you're hoping to buy a house for 50000 that in five years will be worth 75000 you need to reconsider what this uh, whole strategy of yours is. So I hope that helps. Um, I do certainly understand why people from more expensive areas in the country are attracted to real estate here in the Midwest because our prices look incredibly cheap and our rents look high compared to the prices. So uh, I get that. But please consider all of the things around uh 
being an out-of-town owner and having to manage the management company and so on. In fact, I may just write up a white paper on that and make it available to real-life real estate listeners at some point uh, here in the near future. It's real-life real estate investing. <coughs> the Vena has a cold edition. Uh, 877-772-9658 is the number to call with any questions that you have today. There is no set topic, and I have absolutely nothing to say other than reading your questions. Uh, you can also send your questions to askvena at gmail.com. Question from Dave in Cincinnati. Uh, Vina, I have a couple of lease option rental properties owned by my LLC that I'm considering selling to the tenants with owner financing. Is it true under the SAFE Act that I can finance up to three residential properties with seller financing per year per LLC? Are there any issues I need to be aware of about using this exemption from the SAFE Act? Thanks for your help, Dave. Um, okay, so Dave, when you say owner financing, what form of owner financing are you referring to? Are you referring to a contract for deed, or are you referring to you actually sell them the property, give them the deed, and carry back a mortgage? Because there is actually a question in the state of Ohio, and please, other listeners, hear me say, in the state of Ohio, where at this moment in time, land contracts don't appear to be covered under the state's definition of the SAFE Act. My attorney has had lengthy conversations with the folks up at the uh, state. There is no wording in our SAFE Act right now that covers land contracts. Uh, their opinion for uh, for what it's worth is that right now uh, land contracts don't appear to count. But if you are, and that, that could and probably will change, by the way. And in a lot of states, they are absolutely covered by the SAFE Act. Your real question here has to do with three residential properties with seller financing per year, which is sort of what the, what the general national wording of the SAFE Act says, per LLC. And it's the per LLC thing that you're trying to use to say, well, I could sell, I could sell three this year and the next year I'll open up a new LLC, or I could sell three this year and, and when I run out of that three, I'll just open a new LLC and buy my properties in there and I'll do three there and then I'll you know, move on to the next one. Um, excellent question. Not defined in the in the Safe Act, Dave. Uh, I have heard legal professionals say, "Yeah, because it is not defined what an owner is or what a seller is. Each individual LLC is its own seller. So yes, you can do three without having a mortgage originator's license, and then do three from another LLC and three from another LLC." I have also heard legal professionals say. If you are the single member owner of that of each of those LLCs, uh, in all likelihood that is going to be seen as exactly what it is, which is a way to get around having a mortgage originator's license and that it's never going to fly. So this is one of those things that until we actually get some case law or until the wording of the SAFE Act is modified in such a way that it is it clarifies this, we don't know. And the question for you is, do you want to... You want to take the risk and say, look, I, I thought I was okay. It says per seller and HLLC is its own seller. Look at the legal definition of entity. Or do you want to toe the line and at contract number four, uh, perhaps get a licensed mortgage originator to process that application for you? Thank you very much for your question, Dave. We have a caller on line one, Anthony in Cincinnati. Anthony, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. 
Thank you, Vina. Uh, my question to you is, um, if you're trying to go out on wholesale properties, and uh, first of all, like, how do you locate the best properties to start going to drive in? And then also, should you just focus on one or two areas, or should you have, like, two or two to four neighborhoods that you need to start looking for houses in? It's a very interesting question, Anthony, and it it brings up an idea that um, you you will you will hear about as you study wholesaling, and that idea is the idea of buyers first, of spending some time at RIA meetings and meetup groups and subgroups and you know uh, work sites and so on, and. Mm-hmm finding out what neighborhoods serious cash buyers seem to be focused on. Okay. And then looking for deals in those neighborhoods. And, 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 and of course, other things about them, too. You know, if, if everybody tells you, oh, I would never buy less than a three-bedroom, then that's going to help you focus also on the kinds of deals that you would look for. But in, in terms of your question about neighborhoods, uh, just about any neighborhood, if it's at the right price, you you can wholesale a property. I mean, there, there's buyers in every neighborhood where there are occupied properties, obviously, or no one would be living in those properties. But there, you are going to find that there are a handful of areas that more people seem to be looking for than others. Okay. Now, this is at the, this is at the beginning of your wholesaling business because. As time passes and you, you, you want to actually have a business that does multiple deals a month, you're going to care less and less about where they are because you're going to be more and more confident about that thing about there are buyers everywhere at the right price. And you will not want to limit yourself to a particular, okay. to a particular even set of neighborhoods. I mean, my, my particular criteria is it's got to be inside the 275 loop. And that's not because, okay. there, that's not because there aren't buyers for properties in you know Westchester or Florence, it's because I'm too lazy to drive outside of the 275 loop. But any, <laughs> okay. anything anything within there, um, I know that that at the right price, there are investors who are looking to snatch those properties up and renovate them and resell them, or looking to buy them for rental. At the beginning, not a bad idea to you know, find out find out what people are looking for and and make sure they're serious cash buyers. Okay, because Everybody has their opinion, but you only care about the one who can write the check. Right. And uh, focus on focus on those neighborhoods for a while because it'll help you learn the neighborhoods really well. You will, of course, every time you see a for rent sign, call and say, hey, what are you asking for this place? Because that'll help you understand the prices that landlords are willing to pay and why. Uh, you'll, you'll get to know it street by street. And that's always helpful as well. Okay. Uh, one more question. As far as like what to do on a on a day to day basis, like besides just you know what I'm saying going out as something as far as like uh actively doing something, um, as far as just going out, is there anything else you could do on a day to day basis, or what's the best thing I should say? What's the best thing to do besides just going out looking for houses on a day to day basis? Because it was like on a Tuesday, and I wanted to do something before I go to work. But you know what I'm saying? I ain't really know what else to do besides driving around looking for some properties. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll, I'll tell you the, the thing that I tell all of my coaching students. 
until you have a deal under contract, your only jobs as a wholesaler are to find buyers and find sellers. Okay. So any any activity that falls within that sort of, uh, you know, definition, uh, whether it's checking out Craigslist, um, uh, as you're driving these neighborhoods, of course, every time you see a dumpster out in front of a property and people carrying kitchen cabinets out to it, you're going to stop and you're going to talk to those people and find out who owns the house and what they're doing to it and what they paid for it because that's a potential buyer. Uh, when you call these for rent signs, you're going to say, well, hey, are you looking for anything else in this neighborhood? If I had a great deal, would you be interested in owning another rental? And okay. sometimes those folks will say, are you kidding? I want to get rid of this one. Well, okay, now they're not a buyer anymore. They're a seller, right? So uh, anything that you are doing other than looking for buyers and looking for sellers is probably procrastination or a waste of time. Okay. I know people spend a lot of time like making their business cards and figuring out the name for their LLC and figuring out a graphic for their letterhead and all that kind of stuff. And that's all fine and well, but it's not going to buy you a deal. No, nah, that's not going to give me to the check either. Exactly. No. Uh, so, yeah, okay. find buyers and find sellers. All right. Well, thank you, Vina, and I hope you feel better. Yeah, I, th- I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Very good. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. It's question and answer week. You can either call in with your questions at 877-772-9658 or you can send us an email at askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. It's the last Wednesday of the month and therefore it is question and answer week here on Real Life Real Estate. And that means there is no show without you. If you have questions, send them to askvina at gmail.com along with an indication of where you might be living or investing. Or just give us a call, as Anthony did, at 877-772-9658. By the way, if you would like to listen to Real Life Real Estate live on your phone or tablet, you can download the realliferealestatemobile.com app, realliferealestatemobile.com. And you never have to miss another live program. As I have been traveling around the country this year, I have a lot of people that call me or talk, talk to me from uh, places west and say, well, the problem is the show's in the middle of work and I can't turn my radio on. Yeah, but you can get the real life real estate mobile.com app and you know just kind of plug your headset into your, I'm not trying to get you fired, just, just you know, do that. Real Life Real Estate Mobile.com. You can also join the Real Life Real Estate community by going to Real Life Real Estate Radio.com. 5,359 of your colleagues from throughout the United States have joined our Facebook page and liked Real Life Real Estate. You'll also get updates on upcoming programs and other things going on out in the real estate education world. We're going to go to the phones and talk to Mitch on line one in Fort Thomas. Mitch, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Hi, thank you for taking my call. B- very pleased I to. Was, I, I, um, I'm a homeowner in, uh, in Fort Thomas, Kentucky, and I've got a, some neighbors that uh, they lost their home, and it's in that foreclosure process and has been vacant for almost going on two years now. Um, I've done the research to find out that it's owned by one of the larger banks and cannot seem to get a phone call back from their REI personnel or 
you know, get any kind of status update on what's going to take place with it because I'm, I'm interested in the four corners. I'm not interested in the building that's there, mm-hmm. uh, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So is there is there another way, another back way in? Is there another another means of contact? Um, I wish that I could give you some good news on that, Mitch. <laughs> How long do these processes take? But is, well, is there, is there... here here's the thing. Here's here's what's probably really going on there. Mm-hmm. The there there's a, there's about five large banks that do like ninety percent of the foreclosures in the whole country. I mean, when you when you yep. look at the when you look at the share of sale records, it's the same five names over and over and over again that are quote buying the property. However, the reality is that they are not really the owners of the loan or, after the foreclosure, the owners of the property. They're servicers for the real owners. Okay. And mm-hmm. the real owner may be um, you know, some securitized fund that bought that mortgage as part of a pool of mortgages back in 2007, and that fund may or may not actually still be in existence, or it could be the, the real owner could be Fannie Mae or the real owner could be it could it could be going through the process of becoming a HUD property, which means they're waiting for their insurance payout and transfer it to HUD. And that process is so opaque that the way the way you know who actually owns it and who can take an offer on it is when they put the sign in the yard. Wow. So it is not unusual that the property would sit there for two years without a sign in the yard. Uh, that's kind of, that kind of is on the far end of what we see, but you know sometimes it turns out there were title problems in regards to the foreclosure, or there's a lawsuit pending because it was a MERS mortgage, and the borrower went back and said you don't you can't even produce the paperwork. This isn't really your loan. I mean, there's all sorts of weird stuff that goes on, but unfortunately, I do not have a hotline to any of, okay. the, any of the five big banks that will make them respond. Uh, and the the truth is that even if you could get a hold of somebody, they would probably tell you something like, it's in the process of X, it will end up yeah. in the hands of Y, and at that point, they will list it with their agent. So, Well, uh, another question. Do I have any advantage um, to lean the property I I was asked to take care of it before the the homeowners left, uh-huh. and now it's been a while, and I I'm, I could be well beyond my lien rights timeline wise. But if that was were the case, would would I have any advantage um, to lien the property for the maintenance that I've put into it and the grass cutting and the renail and the siding back up when they came off in the wind and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I mean, generally with contractors' liens, anybody can walk down to the courthouse and file one. Uh, you don't have mm-hmm. to prove that you actually did anything or did anything and didn't get paid for it. It's sent up to the owner to prove that you that they don't owe you the money. However, even if you had such a lien on it, I don't know that that would give you any leg up in terms of a negotiation uh, with whoever the actual owner of the property turns out to be. So, um, yeah, interesting idea, but I'm afraid it's, it's, yeah. not, it's not going to do a whole lot. Uh, let me, let me, let me, let me give you one idea that I'm only giving it a 25% chance of getting you anywhere, but maybe it will. Okay. If you can find out from an agent who the agent is 
there in Fort Thomas who lists the bulk of the REOs for this particular bank and mm-hmm. then call that agent and ask if, if they have been notified about the property? Okay. Because many times the bank, the, the banks or the asset managers will send agents a long list of properties that are forthcoming as opposed to ready to go on the market. And okay. if you can, if, 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 it, if it turns out that whichever bank this is, uh, is in fact going to take it all the way through the sale process and there is a local agent who represents that bank in most of their REOs, which is usually the case. Uh, and, okay. and it has popped up on a list already. They may be able to talk to the bank for you. Talk, it's it's not really going to be okay. the bank. It's going to be the asset manager. But they, they may be able to approach the asset manager and say, we actually have an interested party who's right next door. Can we speed this up and get an offer in? I got gotcha. you. Okay. Well, I think I can do that legwork and at least try at least try that. Okay. Uh, Good luck, Mitch. Thank, I know it's frustrating. Thank you very much. Yes, it is. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Have a good evening. Thank you for your call. You too. It's question and answer week on real life real estate investing. You can bring your questions by phone at 877-772-9658 or you can send us an email at askvina at gmail.com. A question here from... Melissa in Madeira. I'm not sure where Madeira is. I'm not going to guess that it's Spain, perhaps California. Uh, I am the co-owner of a vacation rental property currently and have requested to be bought out of this first property so that I can purchase my own vacation rental property in another location. I can technically afford to buy the second property before being bought out of the first But my question is, are there tax benefits to being bought out of the first and then rolling over the profits into the second home to avoid capital gains taxes? Does this option still exist and what are the limitations? For instance, if we have two owners on the first home, but only one owner on the second, is the rollover still allowed? Uh, Melissa, this is uh, a question that really should be directed to your tax attorney. I'm going to tell you that I think this is going to depend on how you are currently uh, writing off this co-owned property. If it is a prime, if it is a residence for you, it's obviously not your primary residence. But if you are not depreciating it because it is not an income property, uh, you're probably going to just be able to sell it and automatically roll over your gains. If it is if you've been renting it out, if it's been an income property, uh, if it is not a residence to you, your option here would be a 1031 exchange. And your problem here is exactly what you think it is, which is that strictly speaking, the sale of the property should be exchanged into a property with the same ownership, uh, which is not what you are uh, doing here. However, if you are tenants in common, you didn't you didn't tell me whether this was an LLC that you owned with this other person and what the other person is going to actually be doing is buying you out of the LLC. Uh, If you are tenants in common with this other person, you probably will be able to roll your portion of the gains in a 1031 exchange over to the new property. But uh, there's some there's some complications here that I don't have the information about. And even if I did, I'm not a tax attorney. Um, 
and the biggest one is is this is this your vacation rental that you live in part of the year or is this one that you use more than uh, I don't remember what the IRS's number of days per year is as an income property uh, for yourself you're listening to real life real estate investing it's question and answer week here on real life real estate and we have all of a sudden a whole bunch of questions that have come into the inbox here at asvina at gmail.com. Vina, I keep hearing how large investing firms are buying up huge amounts of residential property, and it's going to get more competitive for the mom and pop investors. Can you talk or express your opinion about the news that has been traveling around would it be related to the fiscal cliff news? Um, yes, Anthony, there are indeed a number and a growing number of large investment firms, hedge funds, etc., that have gotten it into their heads that the way to achieve returns for their investors is to run around and buy not just residential property properties, but single-family residential properties, which to me is a really fascinating thing for them to be getting into from going from Wall Street, not to commercial properties, not to large multifamilies, but to single site, single family homes. I'm just not sure they know what it is that they are getting into, but I can, I can tell you it's return driven. I can tell you that they are running pro formas and they're saying if we can buy uh, 200 single family homes under these criteria and they rent for this much money our return is going to end up being uh, this much which means we can pay our investors a bunch of money and we can we can make a bunch of money uh, I've had some discussions with some other folks about uh, the reality of their numbers because of course they are pro forma idealized numbers and the thing that I can tell you that, that the us mom and pops that you're worried that they're going to push out of the market uh, are are in agreement on is they are not going to reach those numbers and they, they do not know what they are in for. Uh, while I was on my way here, Anthony, and I know you're in real estate too, so you, you know about this kind of thing, I got a call from my property manager telling me that the water line, not the water pipes, the water line, the feed line from the street to the property at one of my houses has apparently split this afternoon and there is water burbling up into the yard and this is about a $4,000 repair. People who have not owned single family homes before are not going to know to budget for that kind of thing. They're going to say, we complete, we replaced the roof, we replaced the furnace, we replaced the wiring, we replaced the kitchen, we won't have any repairs for 20 years. Uh-huh. Until the water line breaks, you're not going to have any repairs for 20 years. And three years from now, it will be the sewer line. And a year after that, it will be a tree falling on your roof. And your $1,000 deductible will cause you to spend some more money. And the year after that, your tenants will rip the kitchen cabinets off, the, uh, the kitchen cabinet doors off for reasons that you cannot possibly figure out. So I think it's going to be an interesting adventure for these investing firms to be doing this. I suspect that... Uh, three to five years up the road, uh, we will be buying these properties back from some of these investing firms at less than they paid for them. Some of them are better at what they do and have better business plans, and some of them are not so good at what they do and do not have such good business plans. I have already bought several properties from companies that set themselves up to do this 
two to three years ago and are now out of business. And I bought those properties for uh, in the range of 10% of what these folks paid for them. I'm not too worried about the, quote, mom and pop investor, because the difference between these guys and, and, and us, the mom and pop investors, is that, yeah, they have professional management, but they can't be hands-on with their properties. You can always compete with folks who are 2,000 miles away and who um, don't aren't as hands-on with their properties, and it's not as important to them that it get rented this month as it is to you. And uh, I think generally, and I was I was actually having a conversation about this with a reporter the other day who said, but these out-of-town owners, they're ruining our neighborhoods. You know what? If some California money wants to come to Denora, Pennsylvania and get poured into rehabbing some of these bank repos and getting them back on the tax rolls and back on the market, I say amen to that. These are not people who are coming in and buying properties and deserting them. So, yeah, I mean, they, they're, they're doing it because they see money. Uh, they're doing it because they see better returns and, and, and they see it as a safer thing, perhaps, than investing in the stock market. We will see how it turns out for most of them. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. It's question and answer week. We will be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate. It's question and answer week for the month of November. And uh, all of a sudden we just have plenty of questions here in the inbox. Uh, this one is from Monica, who based on her phone number appears to be in the Dayton, Ohio area. She says, I am managing a property for someone. I may have found a buyer for the house. I don't have it listed with the broker for sale. Instead, someone inquired about buying it for all cash instead of renting it. How do I approach the owner with an offer and still get a wholesale fee out of it without being the active agent, just a wholesaler in the deal? Now, Monica, I'm going to make an assumption here. And that assumption is that you are, in fact, a licensed agent. Actually, I see that in your footer now. So you are an agent. And of course, I say that because, you know, you're really not supposed to be managing properties for people unless you are an agent. Uh, you have a management agreement with your seller. You have an ethical issue because you are in a fiduciary relationship with your seller. I think what you would what you would like to do in a perfect world is you would like to go to the seller. Uh, first, you'd, first, you'd like to know what this person wants to pay for cash for this property. Then you would like to go to the seller and offer him to pay him less cash and take the difference for yourself. You can't do that because you have a fiduciary relationship with this seller already. All you can really do is go to him and negotiate a commission. And if he doesn't want to pay it to you, you know what? Unless your management agreement says you get one if you sell it. And he, if he says no, you got to move forward because your duty as a licensed agent is to do what is best for your seller in this case. So uh, this is one of the this is one of the times that um, having a license puts you in a position where you cannot do what you would ideally like to do. But let's face it, this was kind of a windfall. I mean, assuming it even happens, this was kind of a, a windfall anyway. It's not that you were out there actively marketing it or anything. So um, I think you're going to have to tell the tell the seller that you've got a potential buyer. 
look at your management contract, see if there's anything in there about you getting a commission. If not, see if you can negotiate a commission. And then, of course, you are going to have to split that commission with your broker. Sorry, I didn't tell you what you wanted to hear there. Um, question from Nancy in Maryland. What's up with Maryland today? Hi, Maryland. Second, second question from Maryland. My question to you is, I am just getting into real estate investment with very little money and credit that needs improvement and would like to know if wholesaling is the best niche to start out in. Also, should I work with an experienced investor or should I learn as much as I can on my own? Okay, two two very different questions there. Uh, question number one, is wholesaling the best way to get started? Uh, if I were being super self-serving, I would say, yes, of course, Nancy, it is the absolute best way to get started. But um, that would actually be a lie in the sense that I don't know if it's the best way for you to get started. There are a lot of strategies that allow you to even buy properties and hold them that don't require money or great credit. Buying with owner financing is an example. Buying with partner money or uh, private money is an example. Wholesaling is a strategy that a lot of people are attracted to as their first strategy because it's relatively simple. It's no long-term commitment to the property or managing the property. Um, You know, produces quick cash when it works and uh, you know, a lot of people just like the idea of going out there and doing a few deals that way. I'd really need to know more about you and your situation, and your goals to say that it was the best thing for you. Now, the question about working with an experienced investor or learning as much as you can on your own is a really interesting one because I'm going to read between the lines. I'm seeming to be doing that a lot today and say that there are experienced investors in your area who are willing to make some kind of deal with you along the lines of pay me and I will coach you or come work for me for free and I will show you how to wholesale and then I will maybe give you some of my deals or some combination of that. I've actually seen uh, coaching programs where the deal was you pay me a bunch of money and then I also get a piece of your first five deals or something like that. If you're going to pay a bunch of money, if 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 it's if it's scenario one and the idea is pay me a bunch of money and I will teach you how to do this, you might be better off with something like a home study course because paying somebody a bunch of money to teach you to do what they do in their own backyard uh, comes with mixed results. Um, I've had many people. Uh, approach me and say, oh, I paid, I paid this guy, you know, 5,000 bucks and he was supposed to coach me and he would never return my phone calls or something along uh, those lines. And I'm not saying there aren't good programs like that out there. I'm just saying for that kind of cash, you get probably get several really good home study courses and, and learn how to do it on your own. If the deal is the latter deal, if it's uh, just come to work for me and I will teach you how to do it and I will uh, give you some of the deals that you do for my business and then you can go off and do it for yourself. Be super duper careful. There are, there are certain things that you need to watch out for there. One is, are you going to have to sign a non-compete agreement? Because if you came to me and said, teach me everything you know, and I will work for you for free, the first thing I would make you do is sign an agreement that said you would not do 
what I was doing for some period of time for some set of miles around my home. I mean, why would I why would I teach you everything that I know uh, in return for deals that I could be just paying somebody to do who had a non-compete agreement? Um, the other thing to look out for is that uh, I know some wholesalers who get their staff that way. In other words, they throw out this idea of, oh, be my intern. I'll even give you 500 bucks from each deal we close and you'll learn everything about how to do the business. And then the way they manage not having you learn everything about the business is they only put you on one side of it. They let you talk to the sellers, but not the buyers. They let you sell the properties, but not see the marketing. Uh, so they're kind of getting, you know, free labor for, uh, not much in return. You might end up knowing one part of the business really, really well when you leave, but you are not actually going to know the whole business when you leave. So I know I threw a lot of warnings out there for you, Nancy, just now. Um, bottom line is, if a bunch of money is being asked of you, uh, I'd almost get a home study course with a return policy before I would pay someone a bunch of money to supposedly mentor me through deals uh, that I didn't I didn't know who they were because w- without that uh, perspective without that frame of reference that you get from a home study course you probably won't be probably won't know if you're being taught right or wrong anyway oh boy let's see we've got so many questions I'm not sure which one I've only got two more minutes I don't know what to do here uh, let's see. All right. Um, question from Paul in Greenville, South Carolina. Avid podcast listener and Vena evangelist. <laughs> I was not aware that I had an evangelical branch. Um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Read all three of those on the air. You and your guests have saved me thousands in the past five years by covering tons of topics I was not interested in. But at the time, at the time, but as I grew my business, they became very valuable. Uh, weeks ago, Jim briefly mentioned renovating long-term rentals with durable products. Today, I read an ad for an electric water heater with a plastic tank, which is double the price I typically pay. Do you have any experience with this kind of product? Um, unless you were talking about an instantaneous water heater, uh, I do not. Um, I know that uh, instantaneous hot water heaters... Uh, are are something that we tried for a while because they supposedly save you a lot of uh, power costs in your rentals where you are paying to heat the water. But the other thing that I discovered about them is unless you buy a really expensive one, your tenants complain constantly about how there is not enough hot water. They apparently don't heat enough water fast enough to make your tenants happy. But uh, thank you for all the praise, Paul. You've been listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. It is the end of question and answer week, but we will, of course, be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. Happy investing.